Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to The Naturalist Capitalist. Uh, I've got a pretty busy schedule the rest of the year, uh, not for the show, but just in my life. So this is probably the last episode I'm going to do in 2021. And 2021 has been a ridiculous year for me. So I figured I'd have my, I don't know if I'd call my ex-husband or my husband. We're, we're just kind of estranged. We're trying to figure it out. But Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown is back on the show. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think current husband is fine. I don't, you yeah. don't need to put X in front of it. That's kind of sad. I mean, we kind of have just an open relationship, but I feel like all of our relationships are rather polygamous. And it, I mean, it works for me because I live in Utah. So I was going to say. Although, I mean, this is what your people do. So it's fine. Although here, like you still get executed for gay sex. You can just have 11 wives. So it's a little bit like that. That's why we never like really got you know, did the hanky panky around here. It was always out of state. So that's weird. Cause it's like, it's so advantageous to be a straight man in Utah and so disadvantageous to be a gay dude. Like rough. it's rough, dude. It's not easy. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why we chat, we traveled across the country loving it. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that's a good place to kick it off. Like traveling you, uh, you had like never been really anywhere other than California much before this year, right? And now you've been to how many states? Oh no, I, I had I had been to quite a few states. Um, oh, you had okay. Yeah. I thought yeah, yeah. I, I just I had never done a cross country road trip like that though. So oh okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I hit a bunch of states I had never been to too for sure. But I, I drove through probably twelve states or so. I think um, I'd have to tally it up. But it was an amazing experience. I mean, it, it was probably the highlight of the year in terms of like expanding myself and expanding my horizons and getting to know people and meet you and a bunch of other people in real life that I had been, you know, interacting with online for a while, but didn't know. Uh, and it's just, it's just an amazing experience to get to take people from the online realm and then meet them in person and be like, Oh yeah, you are exactly what I had hoped, you know, like you're, and that's why basically everyone that I've met that I was kind of a friend with online I meet them in real life and we become real friends. So it's uh it's a cool thing. And I feel bad for women because they probably can't do it as safely as I did. I just, right. or as recklessly as I did, I should say, I just was like, yeah, I'm going to go spend the night at Reed Coverdale, the creepy trucker's house. And I survived. So <laughs> at least it wasn't in my truck. Cause not too many people survive that experience. You know, but... I would imagine <laughs> rest so... in peace, MJ. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, like you quit your job and, what april of 2020 when was it uh i mean i i kind of quit it then um i did like a handful of loans throughout the remainder of the year but <clears throat> for the most part it was shut down so i've been a full-time liberty ranter for like a year and a half yeah i was gonna say so in san diego like the summer of 2020 did you just like sit in your house because you couldn't do anything or what, what was that like before 2021 Cause I wasn't really following you until 2021. So I just like, didn't even know what you yeah. did the entire year of 2020. <laughs> uh, well, I think the first month after lockdown, I just was prepping. I was like, I was buying all sorts of shit, food, weapons, ammo, everything. Um, and then I was investing. So I was buying other things I won't talk about cause I don't want people to know what I have. Uh, right. so yeah, that's, that's what I was doing for the first month. And then after that I started my show. So there was really no, you know, gap, uh, where I could just sit around and feel miserable. But I, I definitely dealt with severe anxiety during that period. I, I was like, I don't know what's happening. I I mean, I think most people felt that way. I, I just am more attuned to it because I've had an anxiety disorder throughout my um, you know late 20s to my 30s. 
and I was able to sense it right away. Like, oh, I haven't, I hadn't had a panic panic attack in years, and all of a sudden the government's you know locking me in my house and telling me that I can't do business essentially. And I was like, oh, this is this is that old familiar feeling. But what was fascinating is that instead of having the normal fight or flight response that that concerns me because my anxiety disorder prior to that would be um, meritless. You know, it wouldn't be justified. And I would just be like, okay, focus on your breath. You can get through this, blah, blah, blah. This one, I was like, oh no, I should be panicked. Like this is, there is merit behind this anxiety that I'm sensing. And and that's what I, I, I flighted. You know, I, I fought and I flighted. I fought verbally and I flighted physically. Um, and I think a lot of people have done that. It, you know, so many people have, migrated from heavy blue states to either red or purple states and i'm not alone in that i i went to florida myself and i i don't think i'll go back man my family invited me for christmas and i was just like i can't risk it i can't risk that they make a, a vaccine mandate for flights you know and mm -hmm. it could happen at any time it's crazy so what's the biggest thing you miss about california obviously there's not there's a lot that you don't miss but is there anything that you're like man, I really wish I still had that. Uh, the thing I think about the most, besides friends and family, which is the hardest part for sure, um, is cheese and guac chips with cheese and guacamole. Like, there's just, just nothing like it. San Diego Mexican food, that, the carne asada burrito, like the whole, the whole San Diego experience, like the food there is pretty solid. So um, I think whenever I go back, that'll be, besides the friends and family, that'll be the thing I look forward to most. And then the uh, my volleyball community is is probably the hardest thing to replace. I had like 35, 40 people that I played with um, every weekend or two times a week, I should say, for seven or eight years. So, you know, they start to feel like family. So it's very that's probably the, the hardest thing for me. Um, but, yeah, those are the things I miss. And then yeah. not paying income tax and everything else is pretty cool. So isn't San Diego the most conservative coastal city in California? Uh, I would say Orange County is more, but we're close. Mm hmm. Yeah. What areas? I, I love San Diego. Like I've been there a few times. Um, but what area generally did you live in? I was in Carlsbad, which is a waterfront beach town, um, but it's in North County. So like you have downtown San Diego, you go about 40 miles north. So I was like right on the cusp of the northern tip of, of uh, San Diego County. So Oceanside and Camp Pendleton were the only thing north of me before you start to like take this big gap to get to Orange County. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it sucks, man. California, I've been all 50 states, and California is probably my favorite one geographically. I mean, it's just oh, it's got amazing. everything. It's got all those national parks, the mountains, the ocean, the deserts. Yeah. The people people always say, like, the most remarkable thing about it is that you can surf and, and snowboard in the same day. It's like, it's true. I, I don't know where else you can do that, you know, maybe yeah. in the world. Um, so, yeah, it's a very special place. The climate is is spectacular it's like 70 degrees all year round um i just i miss it a lot but you know i'm fortunate in that i had the resources to go to miami which is i mean the weather here has been spectacular too so no complaints there i just think the the network and the the community feeling you know i don't have that here um yeah. fortunately so much of my life has been shifted to the online realm i still feel like i have a community which has probably taken some of the sting off of it uh, but at some point, I'm going to have to get out of my cave and start, you know, making friends here, too. <laughs> so what do you foresee the future being at this point? Do you think it's just going to be is it just going to be the podcast? Or are you going to, like, run for president eventually or what's <laughs> what's on I, the what's on the docket? I think, I think both of our background with Tower Gang probably kills that. But um, 
I could, I could see. I mean, I could see myself Dave running. Smith for, will have to be like a test run. We'll have to see how he does. And if they, oh yeah, like, oh okay. Well, all right. Maybe we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think. I think it, it's more likely that wherever I end up settling down permanently, which I don't think it'll be Miami. Um, I, I could see myself running for local office just to try and create a little Liberty Enclave kind of the Hoppian idea, ten thousand Liechtenstein, all that jazz. So. Um, that's why I like the post-libertarian idea of doing that. So I, I might do that. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm also looking seriously at writing a book. Like I, I really think that I have a lot to say. Uh, people obviously like my writing style in short form on Twitter. Uh, but I don't know, you know, whether or not I can narrow down my scope because I have a lot of interests and I don't know how, to, how I'm going to like exactly frame it. Um, I, I, Obviously, uh, probably the the thing I know best would be macroeconomic collapse scenarios and and things of that nature. Paired with the mortgage background that I have, I think that could be interesting. Um, but also, you know, with libertarian ideals and and solutions therein, I don't know. I don't know. I I just I think that that's that's an outlet that I could really consider exploring. Yeah. So I'm sure it is, but. Um... Is it incredible to you looking at your show in 2020 and then looking at it in 2021? <laughs> like I've looked at the people I've talked to in 2021 and then I go back to 2020 and I was like talking to some dude I met on Twitter who had like 50 followers or something. And now it's exactly Peter Schiff. And you know, like all, <laughs> I mean, it's just insane. But what's that been like for you? Oh, I mean, it's surreal. It's totally surreal. Uh, the fact that I've had on. I've had on the the two of the three biggest guys that got me interested in podcasting in the first place in Adam Curry and Dave Smith. Like that's fucking nuts. And both of them are like now friends of mine and are, have said that they're willing to come on anytime I need them. Like, yeah, that's, I, it's just the weirdest thing. Uh, Joe Rogan being the third and I obviously am not at that level. So, uh, but maybe, maybe one day we'll see. So yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, it's absolutely bizarre to have, I'm almost at, I think 27,000, Twitter followers or something like that. I've I just broke a half a million uh, downloads on my shows at this point. It's like it's mind blowing, man. Uh, I mean, it's it's probably the biggest um, uplifter I've had through this really trying period uh, when it came to everything else going on in the world. So I'm very grateful for it, and I I try and tell my audience that as often as humanly possible that I, I am just so I'm so thankful for them, and it's not like it's not because I get a little bit of income from my show. It's like it's purely because I feel a community and, and it's really meaningful to me. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate, and I, obviously I appreciate guys like you too. I mean, it's like, it, I feel like I've, I've made brothers out of this thing. It's fucking, it's nutty. Yeah. Um, it's night. I mean, I'm in the same boat that I do not financially depend on the show, which I think unless you're doing really well, with the money you make from the show, that would kind of suck because then you're kind of tethered to saying certain things because you're dependent on your audience liking what you say. 100%. Where, like where we are, we can kind of just say whatever we want and it doesn't yeah. matter. I, I, no, I that it's a huge advantage for both you and I. Um, you know, me because I don't have to work and you because you have your, your really good income day job. It's like, or night job. I don't know if you work a lot. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's a really important factor. And, and the, the ironic part about it is I think that the reason we've both been successful in this is because we do tell the truth and we don't care if it, if it rubs our audience the wrong way. Um, 
obviously I get pushback from my audience sometimes on different things and I appreciate it for the most part. And, you know, certain ideological people will just abandon me because, you know, they, they're like Trump supporters or whatever. And I'll talk shit about him or whatever, you know, you just, you're going to lose people along the way. But as you go, you basically find an audience that is deep thinking and, and critical thinking and, and willing to hear ideas that they don't necessarily agree with. And I think that's really important because I don't want an echo chamber. Like as much as Twitter is one, I like having differences of opinion with people and I like having disputes and debates and, and conversations. So if my audience can be that way too, that's ideal. And because we don't have the financial need of this show of our shows, it's like, well then, yeah, this is this is what it's going to create. And because of that, I think that the shows get bigger and bigger uh, because it appeals to more people because we are telling the truth. And that's something that's sorely lacking in all media right now. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously the desire to not create an echo chamber, but then there are some people that, you know, they're not they're actually there to argue with you about ideas. They're just there to be parasites, you know, and like suck, suck the life blood out of what yeah. you're trying to do those people suck and you have to block them and that's been an interesting thing for me and i know for you over this year like figuring <laughs> out like what that balance is like what type of person who's a healthy critic who's telling you you suck and you're kind of like okay yeah you've got a point versus like these bottom feeding gnats so uh <laughs> what's that been like for you trying to figure that out figure out that balance it's very hard. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that I've I found most challenging about kind of rising too fast, you know, because I, I really have blown up like in, in a very short period of time. Same for you. And it's just like I didn't ex I expected some people not to like me, of course. Like, no, there's no way everyone's going to like you. Like, I'm totally accustomed to that. I did not I did not expect people to hate me for things that weren't real. I think that's the thing that's the most perplexing. Um, I've got, I, I could go through the list of accusations. I'll leave some of them off because I don't want to start any fucking bullshit rumor mill right. stuff. But, um, some people think that I'm a federal agent <laughs> because I don't have to work. And they're like, this is, it's impossible. Why would he, oh, he's retired and he talks about the government. Like, was he fucking crazy? Yeah, I am. I'm a little crazy. And that's why I do it. Uh, and then we've, I've also got, uh, oh God, how many, how many other things? Oh, I, I never, I never ran a mortgage company. It's like, dude, do you think I could talk about this stuff how I do if I didn't do that? Like, that's so crazy to me. Um, and then other accusations that are just off the wall bizarre. So <clears throat> like you said, I don't mind genuine criticism or and pr preferably constructive criticism. What blows my mind is people creating narratives and then running with them about me and like having it be a thing that gets back to me through other people. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? And that's happened to me a bunch of times over the past year. And I, all I've done is try and be as honest and as good of a person as possible in the scene. And I've tried to like uplift people. I've tried to be, um, you know, just, just good. I've just, I've really tried to be good. Like I, this, I'm doing this out of the passion of my heart. Like it's not, there is no financial motive here. Oh, that's the other thing, the clout chasing. And this is for money, which is fucking bizarre. Cause I know you and I both hardly make anything from this stuff. So the fact that people have such a, uh, you know, misconception about the, the gravy train that is medium tier libertarian podcasting is just hysterical. <laughs> yeah. It's um, I don't know. Like, it is cool to, you know, like go places and have people know who you are, but most of the time this isn't like some 
paparazzi gig. Like, I mean, I, I no. very, <laughs> I've only met one person outside of a Liberty event who knew who I was. And that was weird. It was at a Komatsu dealership, some truck driver who watches my show. Oh, happened nice. to me. But like, yeah, people think that um, they, they, they think this is way more than it actually is like that. The fame yeah. is way bigger and that the, the monetary gain is way bigger. <laughs> it's like, if, if you are clout chasing for this, you have no life. Like if this is like your goal to like rise up and make money and get fame here, like it's pretty sad. Like it's pretty fucking easy. I mean, it doesn't take much to become a name and to make a yeah. difference in this circle. So, well, I'll, I'll disagree. I'll disagree with you a little bit. I do think it takes a, a decent amount to, to get any sort of notoriety. Um, and we've both been fortunate with that, with networking and things like that. And having our different, vantage point that for whatever reason appealed to people because there are a lot of people that have shows out there that struggle mightily to to get name recognition and i feel for them and i think a lot of this a lot of the animus that you and i get is from people that have been doing it for a long time and they feel like well why the fuck are these guys doing well and and you know i don't blame them for feeling that way but at the same time like don't be mad at me you know like do better i, I mean or or get a different lane or do something i mean just yeah mix it up and uh and it's just bizarre to me that people are like, you've only been doing your show for a year and a half. And, you know, you're like top five in the Liberty Sphere. It's like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, like, a, I, I mean, I, I just really I'm very passionate about what I do. And that appeals to some people. Forgive me. Uh, and I'm not going to stop. So that's the other thing is like my my will with this is fucking infinite. Like you can't you will not break me with rumor mill nonsense. You will not break me with hating me. Like I care about this stuff and it's real to me. So I'm going to be here. Get yeah. used to it. <laughs> so have you been surprised that you've filled a lane that you didn't necessarily think you were going to? So I have like, I never thought I'd be into this like Epstein 9-11, like Ryan Dawson right. stuff. I figured I'd probably have him on the show or whatever, but that's become like a big part of what I do now. And if you had told me that last year when I started, I would have been like, what? Like, no way. So I was wondering, is there anything you've been drawn into that kind of surprised you that's become part of your shtick? Uh-oh, looks like we lost. Yeah, one. I think I definitely talk more about um, consp Oh, you're back. You're just a little laggy. So, okay. Sorry, man. Uh, yeah. I think that the, the biggest surprise to me is that I've been in more of a conspiracy theorist lane than I expected to be. Um, I didn't really consider myself a serious conspiracy theorist prior, but there's just been so many conspiracies that have happened over the past couple of years that like forced to talk about it. And I'm more interested in talking to people that are at least open to considering, you know, bigger scope ideas as to what's happening to us and why and, and who's behind it. And I think that that's, that's pro probably the lane that I'm surprised most about. I've had some really, really smart people that would probably be considered conspiracy theorists on. I mean, I think James Lindsay is to a certain extent a conspiracy theorist, but he's also, you know, fucking unbelievably smart and well-researched and his shit is like rock solid truth in my opinion. So um, yeah, that's, that's unique. And then, you know, obviously, just having the relationship that you and I have with Dave now, given that I was like seriously his biggest fan is bizarre. You know, the fact that I'm like, I really consider him a friend now. Um, so that those are the two things that surprised me most by far. Yeah. 
So let's move away from talking about our podcasting success and just talking about like the state of the country. So a year, right about a year ago, like to the day almost right now is when I took my biggest black pill when uh, Congress passed that COVID relief bill without reading it um, that sent, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars to foreign countries, corporations, all this stuff. And I, I was just in a feeling of despair. I po- I reposted a video to Twitter that I did a year ago, uh, two days before Christmas, and I just had no hope. I'd just been completely, you know, <laughs> I'd just been stabbed in the back, and I just felt like, what's the point? Why do anything? And um, my mindset has kind of shifted now because at that point, I was still trying to envision us as a country and trying to see us like come back together and stop being so divided and everything. And I think throughout the beginning of 2021 with January 6th and everything that happened after that, I just started thinking differently, like, okay, you know what? I don't really care if this country actually remains a single state. I don't really care if people get along. I just want the government to fall apart and I want people to start resisting and I want like small pockets of um, nullification to pop up. And then that actually started happening a lot this year in a lot of different ways, whether it was resistance to vaccine mandates, resistance to gun laws. Um, So I actually, I feel a lot better right now on December 21st, 2021 than I did on December 21st, 2020. And it's not just from like doing the podcasting thing. It's from actually seeing what's happened in this country over the last year. And I was wondering if you shared that sentiment or if you think it's worse. Uh, I think it's both actually. Um, I better because it's worse. And this is actually your theory from about a year ago where you were like, I hope Biden wins. And, and you, I mean, to a certain extent, I think you were right. It's like, it made it a lot worse. And because it got so much worse, it started to push the country towards secession or, you know, virtual secession, ideological secession, media secession. It's like all of this stuff is coming to pass. And I think that I had a similar outlook to you, where it's like I wasn't really interested or thinking that the dissolution of the United States was a possibility two years ago. Like, I didn't think that I certainly didn't think it would happen in like the near term or my lifetime. So, um, yeah, that's probably been my biggest evolution is that, you know, now not only do I think not not only did I go from not really thinking it was possible nor really wanting it to wanting it but not thinking it's possible to really really wanting it and then thinking it's possible and then seeing it kind of start to happen simultaneously it's a such dire financial economic straits it's so dangerous what they've done in terms of printing and borrowing Everyone is basically a belief theory at this point. And as an Austrian economic guy, like I just know, I just know in my soul that that they're wrong and that this is going to be catastrophic. And the vast majority of people are not even close to prepared for it. So people like you and I and those that are are in our realm that are kind of preparing economically to to weather what whatever may come. Uh, but I'm simultaneously very concerned about societal collapse and what will happen to the people that aren't prepared for it 
because I think that you don't transition from the United States and the biggest government in the in all of human history to a glide path scenario. Like it's just it ain't gonna happen. So there's gonna be real tumult for us all to deal with. Yeah. So um, you know, as libertarians, we always are worrying about the state of our own country and thinking the government is going to fall apart or that the currency is going to collapse. But it's been such a worldwide catastrophe. The question I have is who is really poised to become the next economic leader? I mean, it's not really China. I mean, China's economy is kind of a paper tiger. But I was wondering, do you think that another country is going to be the next uh, have the next world reserve currency and then they're going to overtake the United States? Or do you think like everything is in such a state of tumult that it's too hard to tell? Like, how, how do you how do you see this playing out? I, I really don't know. I mean, there, there are so many variables that go into this. Uh, basically, any central bank that decides that is in the position that they can have fiscal sanity could be that nation like they could. But they also have to have an industry that competes with ours, and most of them don't. So, I'm not sure. Um, economically, in terms of like governmental budgets, Russia sits really pretty. They have almost no debt. They, you know, they their economy sucks. So that's like the or it doesn't suck. It just doesn't produce much. Um, so that's the only reason I don't think that they would be the front runner for it. But if it if it were strictly based off a balance sheet for the the nation, I think Russia is fucking in an unbelievably uh, beneficial position. Um, so what, I, what I envision or what I'm concerned with, kind of my, my worst case scenario is that Russia and China team up and, and it's not impossible. I mean, the, the way we're treating both of these countries, you're, we're kind of pushing them into being bedfellows. And I think it's a very dangerous game to play. It's two nuclear powers, one that's deeply indebted, but has a, has a major capacity for production. And the other that's financially solvent but doesn't have a tremendous amount of production. Like you put those two together, you might have something. Um, so yeah, <laughs> like we need to stop. I mean, we really need to stop pushing these people. If they want Taiwan back off and let them have it. Like we've got to stop being the bully on the block. If, if Russia wants Ukraine back the fuck off, let them have it. Um, it's just, it's just insane that we're still trying to police the world while we are teetering on, you know, the brink of economic destruction. It's, it's really crazy. And, and we're already having inflation even before we have, you know, a full military buildup that could go towards uh, a world war like that. <clears throat> and there's also, in terms of morale in this country, good fucking luck getting enough people in America to fight for this country at this point. No one, like, so, I mean, even died in the wool, red, white, and blue bleeding motherfuckers are like, I don't want to die for this country right now. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't share my values. It's not, it basically it treats me like an enemy um and i i don't blame them so i don't think on any front we're prepared for this and then you also have the the vaccine passports that are or mandates that are making it so that thousands of military uh enlisted are, are you know basically resigning or being fired or however you want to phrase it <clears throat> so yeah dude <laughs> no wars please yeah it, it's incredible to me that <clears throat> That's actually a discussion like, should we go to war with Russia or China? Like that's becoming a conversation now. And to me, like you've seen me on Twitter, I'm like, it's not whether we should go to war with China or Russia. It's that we should stop fighting 
Israel and Saudi Arabia's wars. <laughs> like that's the number one thing we should do. I yeah. mean, like, I can't imagine after, you know, especially like the last 20, 30 years, thinking that going to war is going to be economically advantageous for us. Um, you know, the Russians failed at it and then they let us have our go at it and it fucked us up. So like, what? I, I don't get, I can't believe that people still think this. Like if you want China to fail, then let it invade Taiwan and let it do its fucking reckless shit. Why do we care? Like, right. it's just absolutely insane to me. And I mean, this is what's so disappointing about the right wing is with China. Like, there's still such hawks on it. I mean, they're like, they've, they've gotten better with some of the wars in the Middle East, but they really want to go to war with China. It's just like, are you insane? And then the left with Russia, like, I just can't believe it. I don't, it just like completely blows my mind, man. I, I'm with you. I mean, as I've said, like, I don't think we can win that war, if, especially because it's not going to just be us versus china like if people think that i think they're deluded it's gonna like it'll be partitioning off i mean obviously it's going to be proxy wars that lead into uh, an all right outright hot conflict if it were to ever come to pass but if it comes to pass you're having the two biggest economic powers go at it and i mean from the other side of the planet like th there's going to be nations that ally with us and there's going to be nations that ally with China. So it's going to be like instant World War III if it goes that route. And I think that it's just, it's incumbent upon anybody that lives in America to basically, regardless of your feeling about China, I don't like China. They're, they're ruler all, and the fact that they likely played a role in COVID. Just leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a fan. Oddly. <laughs> and, and what they've done to Hong Kong, Kong is terrible, and what they might do to Taiwan would be terrible. All of this set that aside. We can't. Do it. We cannot. Do it. So fucking get the idea out of your head. It's like it's an option, okay? They're a nuclear power. No. Um, so that's that's my vantage point on it. Just like and and to your point about uh, you know neocons, like I I have sympathy for them because I I share some of the animus towards China for for what happened, but ultimately like the reason we were locked down isn't because of China. So like, even if, even if you think that China played a role with the virus, it's still, they didn't lock us down. Our government did that. So I ain't going to fight for them. Yeah. And if China played a role with the virus, the U S government played a role with China with the virus. So it's not like it absolves us from any sort of involvement there. So, you know, that, that's kind of interesting too, exactly. like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just hope that sentiment finally breaks but i don't know what it's going to take uh people just like they just kind of fall back on that but um as far as the united states goes with um with the dollar so this is i mean we're, we're like locked into this we're, we're locked into this whirlpool of insanity where we have a warfare state that uses imaginary money to keep itself going but the warfare state is what keeps the imaginary money valuable. So in other words, like fighting Saudi Arabia's wars kind of keeps us on the petrodollar, which allows us to uh, have run these trade deficits and, you know, keep our economic status in the world. And, you know, also our military might around the world in general, not just with our alliance with Saudi Arabia, but, you know, we, we just like keep driving people into debt purposefully, whether it's in house loans or college loans or whatever. We force people to join the military so they don't have to pay for school. 
I mean, we're just like so deeply entrenched in this. Do you think there's any way to break out of it without just a collapse or is it just going to have to all come crashing down at this point? I mean, I think that the only the only reason we haven't collapsed already is because every other central bank across the world is doing the same thing. So right. let's start there. You know, like people always say, oh, you're wrong because we haven't collapsed. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> we <laughs> haven't collapsed because everybody else is just as stupid as us or stupider. Right. Um, I still believe that $300 trillion in debt globally is going to be a problem. Call me crazy. You know, <laughs> I think that's a fucking problem and I take it seriously. So uh, as far as like, can we get out of this system without there being a collapse? I don't think so. I don't think you can unwind that debt. I mean, you could do debt jubilees, but that would bankrupt the nations that that own our debt. It would bankrupt the the pensioners that that hold the debt. It would bankrupt, you know, basically every every creditor would be bankrupted and and who who runs the credit system well i'm not going to go down the conspiracy route but it's a lot of old money and it's people with ties to the the levers of power and why would they why would they let that go that route so i don't think they're going to let it go that route i think that they're going to have to a central bank digital currency and transit to it i th i think that's really the only path that they have and they talk about it openly. So it's not conspiracy theory stuff. Like they are talking about central bank digital currencies for multiple countries across the planet. And I think that's what they're going to try to do. I don't think you can do that without severe economic pain. And you can't just go like, oh, you've got $1,000 in your in your bank. We're going to give you 500 CBDC USDs or whatever they're going to call them. And have that have the same purchasing power. Like you still have supply and demand and you have to have um, price realization, and that is going to be dependent on how they how they handle that transition. And I think in that period, they're going to try and implement MMT fully, where they actually put money into people's accounts, and they're going to have, you know, I really think that they're going to try for uh, social credit scores a la China, where they are able to cut political dissidents, people like us, off from the, the financial system. And if it's digital, can do it very easily. And I think that's exactly what all of this is about. I think that the World Economic Forum and the Build Back Better and every major Western politician, that, that phrase is not a coincidence and it's not an accident. And I think it's real. And I don't know, I don't know why I, I, I talk about this. I still feel awkward when I'm like, I'm really confident that this is the truth, but I still feel weird because it's just not an acceptable opinion to say it out loud. Um, but it's my belief. So that's what I'm preparing for. I think that those that don't want to be sucked into the system and be a slave of it, it's incumbent upon all of us to get out of it. And if you think Bitcoin that path, great. If you think precious metal is that path, great. If you think migrating to a different country is a path, fine. You know, like we're just gotta we just gotta be in front of this thing because it's gonna be tough. So do you think it's destined to fail? I mean, because that's the thing with like, you know, anytime they try to centrally plan an economy, it eventually falls apart and usually doesn't even really take that long. I mean. You know, uh, the Soviet Union didn't last very long. Um, a lot of fascist countries don't last very long. You know, and that's just not just economic stuff. That's also, uh, you know, crushing of civil liberties and things like that. But I, I feel like some people think this is inevitable and that this is going to become the way things are and it's going to stay that way. And I just, just by looking at history and looking at the natural world, like I, I mean, I'm still way against it forming, obviously, but I think 
if things go in this direction, it, it's just not going to work and it's not going to last. What do you think about that? I don't know. I really don't know. It, it It's going to be dependent on how well they can handle the transition from, you know, regular fiat to digital fiat. <clears throat> I don't know, man. Like I, it's never been done. Like they haven't ever done this. And, and the fact that they're doing it on a global scale is what gives me concern that they could be successful. Um, because in the past, when you had those collapses, it was like, it benefited other countries. So they allowed it to happen. They're not going to step in. They're not going to do the same dumb shit to, to allow it, um, to like benefit that nation versus themselves. So like this time they all seem to be kind of walking in lockstep and, and that gives me real pause. You know, the fact that it's happening on a global scale and it's uniform and it's all nuts makes me get real conspiratorial because um, it just doesn't add up. And because if I was one of these countries, I'd be like, no, I'm going to I'm going to be fiscally sound. I'm going to like I do what Russia's doing, but I would obviously decrease tyranny and I would get my. Too. Um, but the fact that almost every country is doing the same thing, it just makes me feel like they're all they all have an end game in in mind and that that is a transition to digital currency but fiat digital currency and i don't obviously i don't tr i don't believe in government and i don't think they're like capable of this stuff at this point my my faith in the people and their desire for freedom is also kind of at an all time i don't know who wins out i mean obviously depending on what day i wake up sometimes i go okay yeah the People are waking up. They're being red pilled. They understand, like, oh, it was supposed to be two weeks. We're, you know, at nine weeks now. Like, at some point, people have it's supposed to be one jab, and it was doing this five minutes. Like, okay, yeah, you're gonna wake up at some point, right? And still, it seems like you know, 40, 50 percent of the people are just like, no, I'm just gonna do whatever they say. So, I don't know. I don't know, man. What do you think? You think it's gonna? You really think it's gonna just fall apart? Well, I think it might um, take some sort of form. So that's why I'm like against it, trying to get out ahead of it like you are. I just don't think it's inevitable for I, I think I think that, um, you know, there's a religious aspect to thinking that this is the way it's going to become and that it's never going to change because it's kind of like an end times type deal. Like, you know, this is very reminiscent of for sure the uh, the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and all that type of stuff. So I think a lot of people think that it's just inevitable and it's going to end and you know things are going to be like that until the world ends and i just don't think that way i mean i think we've had you're right like it is new territory because of the digital aspect of it but we've had you know i mean there's so many from a religious perspective there's so many times throughout history where you could have thought wow this is it like this is the end you know this is how it's gonna go um i don't know like i just think um I just I, I trust in the natural world a little bit more than most people do that it'll just like cause this to fall apart eventually <laughs> because like yeah regardless of how many controls you're trying to use I don't think like once you're bringing things to such a large scale especially a global scale and like different countries different cultures different people different economic structures and trying to put them all under one umbrella I just don't think it will work. Like, I think it'll fall apart in a couple, I mean, I don't know, in a decade. Oh, then, like, I, I can't see it lasting longer than that. Am I back? There you go. Now I can hear you. 
Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, so if you're, if you're you know, I agree with you. I mean, I obviously, I don't think that they're going to have a one-world government forever. Like, I think that's totally impossible. Because you'll have revolutions, people will rise up. Like, that's through it with being really bloody and bad. Um, and that's the that transition through there. You may have lost me again. I can hear you. Oh, sorry. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the, yeah, I can hear you. That That's the big question to me, man. I, I, I think that long term, I'm, as I've said many times, I'm very hopeful. And I think that even if it gets really bad, even on a global scale, there's still going to be enclaves where it's not so bad. I mean, like, perfect example of what you're talking about is like during World War II, it, if you were in one of the countries being bombed every day, you felt like it was the end of the world. But there's a lot of countries that were totally peaceful during World War II and there was nothing going on. So um, I think that that's, that's where I'll try and be. <laughs> yeah. So where do you think that is? Like what, <laughs> like what, what countries are not going to be heavily affected by this? Like where, what's a safe haven you think? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think that it's it's really important that you be around people that value liberty, like it, wherever that is, because it's going to come down to is it is the cost benefit analysis for the government of messing with your community worthwhile? And I think that if you're around a bunch of liberty loving psychopaths, you have a really good chance of the government looking at you and going like, we're going to leave them alone, um, especially with all of the potential for global conflict as this unwinds. I think that they'll they'll have way too many you know, pans on the, on the stovetop to really worry about, you know, like the little new, New Hampshire enclave or whatever. So that, that's what I'm looking for is just a community of people that, that share similar values and are willing to, you know, fight for what they believe in. And hopefully that means that we won't have to fight for what we believe in. So that's, that's, I think that's as good as you're going to do where that is, is kind of TBD. You know, there's going to be a lot of countries that have, decent lifestyles and freedom oriented uh ways of life but it's just i i honestly don't think we can know with certainty at this point which it'll be yeah it seems to me that you know the jackboot approach to government is always going to backfire like if if you're stomping on people and restricting their freedom and movement and happiness really really if you'd like take away their comfort that's when they'll revolt. So if you can figure out how to keep them comfortable and take away their freedoms and, you know, spy on them and get them to do what you want them to do, then you've got it made. But it seems like they're kind of screwing that up. Like they did that. Ironically, they sort of did that sort of well in 2020 because what they did is they scared the shit out of all of us. And then they were like, okay, well just, they didn't even really have to, mandate lockdowns in a lot of places people were just doing it voluntarily and then they were like okay we'll give you this stimulus money and you know after a while it wore off but initially like that was a pretty good play but now it's like they're building concentration camps in other countries and they're you know trying to force everyone to get vaccines when they don't want them so like we've kind of reached a point where they're just going the opposite way and you're seeing like a ton more backlash. I mean, some of it's probably also because people are fed up, but I think a lot of it is just how blatant it's been and how scary it is. And like, you're looking around the world, seeing what's going on. 
that's what gives me hope is like the, the governments all around the world, they've run out of being clever. You know, they're at the point where they're just being like blatantly authoritarian and like Australia, I think you're going to have a revolt there eventually. Like, I don't think you can do that forever and get away with it. Well, especially because they're still armed. I mean, the, the obvious rejoinder to your point is North Korea, where the people weren't armed and they have suffered terribly forever because of it. Right. Um, and that's that's really the only counter example I can present you where like the boot was firmly on the neck and brutally so. And it last and it persisted. Uh, but other than that, you're absolutely right. I mean, as long as you have an armed population, they can't do it. I mean, they just flat out can't because if the economic strain gets so significant and and people start to miss meals, uh, you know, you're going to have people that pick up arms at some point. Like it's just inevitable. So, I yeah, I think that America in particular, like it's going to unless they disarm us, which I don't think they'll ever be able to do. Uh, that's the only way that you could have a truly totalitarian nation. You could still have totalitarian states in America. Like that's definitely a possibility. Like New York is ripe for it yeah. because they've disarmed those people to a large extent. Uh, but most of the states, they're they're gun toting, Bible thumping folks, and they ain't gonna ha- they ain't gonna have it. At some point, they ain't gonna have it. So, I yeah, I'm I'm optimistic in that in that sense. It's just like I want I just want my life back, man. I don't even want I don't even want to go down this path. So like yeah, I'm optimistic. But what I'm describing is like the fucking fall of the United States and and uh and a lot of economic turmoil and and a lot of um you know people missing paychecks and meals and a lot of craziness that i mean you we have lived through probably you know the greatest time to be alive in human history and you still had people that were willing to light stuff on fire and freak out um you know last summer and you know if it can get that bad when people are still eating like if you ever see America missing meals, look out. Like it would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this kind of harkens back to what you brought up, my hypothesis from last year that if Biden won, we'd actually be in a better place because we'd be in a worse place. Um, you know, I remember back in like, I don't know, 2018, 2019, I was telling people that we were living in a financial bubble and things were going to get bad. And, you know, we were actually murdering a lot of innocent people in, Yemen and, you know, the war in Syria back to that far, you know, like how what a disaster that was. And no one gave a shit about anything. Like it was just (laughs) me, my life, you know, everything's good. Fuck it. I don't care about anything else. Like people are forced to care about things now that because it does involve them at this point. And they've been forced to look at the system and realize what's going on. I've had so many friends who've been red pilled on so much stuff. Like I've, I mean, I've hooked a lot of my like, like boomer con right wing friends onto my show. And, you know, they, they like saw the Maria Farmer episode that Donald Trump was going to Epstein's place. And, you know, I mean, like they, and, uh, you know, seeing like the, um, the foreign policy connections with Israel and Saudi Arabia and, uh, you know, like, drone bombing i don't know just like they're seeing all of it and it's incredible so like i'm almost glad that this is happening and it's like in a sort of demented way like another thing is like teaching critical race theory in schools like i'm almost glad that's happening because now you're seeing people like get their kids out of public schools and like realize that the whole system is fucked so well is and, there any and masking and masking the kids too that that expedited that process 
yeah. So like in some ways, I'm actually kind of glad we've been going through this hell hole of a dystopian nightmare for the last year and a half because it has forced people out of their bubble. And the ones who haven't been forced out, like, let's be real, they weren't any better a year and a half ago. Like they might have not as been as aggressive as they are now trying to control us, but they were never like good on this stuff. They never cared no. about any of this stuff. But now you have like you probably got, you got to have like millions more people now who millions are, uh, guaranteed breed is yeah. millions and millions of people hate the government now that is progress <laughs> that is huge progress i don't know how to say it any other way um like perfect example for christmas i sent to my brother mom and stepdad anatomy of the state because i knew they were ready for it you know mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't waste my time sending it to them 10 years ago they would have been like I'll sit that over on the nightstand and never read it. They're ready for it now. Uh, these people are radicalized to hate local government in particular and the federal government moreover because they're in blue states. And they, they realize like it's not enough to just go about your life anymore. Like you can't go about your life anymore. So you're right. I mean, and, and the good news is, is like your life was still okay. You know, it wasn't like complete misery, but it was enough of an infringement in your day-to-day -day activities and your preferences on what you want to do with your life that people were like, what the fuck's happening? You know, like th this is a, this is a real issue now. And you're right. Also that when it came to military intervention overseas, you couldn't get them to, you know, even lift an eyebrow at it for the most part, but it's them now and it's their family and it's their kids and it's their lineage and it's their heritage as a nation and as freedom minded people. Like, it's all it's all on your doorstep, folks. Like and and yeah, I can't help but be a little bit appreciative of all of the people that it's that have been woken up to it. And then the thing we haven't mentioned is the immense distrust that it's bred in the media. I mean, people didn't like the media prior. They right. despise these people now, and they don't trust a fucking thing they have to say. So that to me is very hopeful because it means that they're going to be really hard to propagandize moving forward. Now, there's another half of the country that's probably even easier to propagandize because they have set all rational thinking aside. And those people are very dangerous. The other half of the country that aren't going to buy into propaganda very easily anymore, those are allies. And we need to be with those people. And those are those are the people that can you know make us a force that can't be um, stomped down or have the boot on our neck, as you described it. Yeah. And um, I, I think the delineation there, like the, the half that's with us and the half that isn't, it's not 100% right and left. Like there are, um, I, think the, no. I think the right is more open to that kind of thinking right now. Like the, the cultural right is not as dismissive of skepticism as the cultural left is right now. But like if you talk to actual like left-wing people, most of them... <laughs> admit like yeah this is fucking retarded this sucks like this you know these vaccine mandates are ridiculous this lockdown shit like it's stupid i mean i um you know i have family members who are both right and left and i've you know some of the right wing people are freaked out about this still and still want you know everyone to be wearing a mask all the time and then some of the left wing people in my family are like this is stupid like why are we still doing this so it's like um I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's a strain of like independent thought that exists in this country. And just anyone who's like willing to latch onto that 
is an ally, like regardless of whether they're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, not political, whatever, like anyone who, you know, has been burned by the media or the government or, you know, whatever entity, they are ripe for the picking. And there are a lot of like people on the left who have been burned by the government and the media. Like, I mean, it's amazing, like the Bernie supporters you can find who got radicalized by him getting stabbed in the back and then him like endorsing Hillary or endorsing Biden. And then that radicalized them and turned them into government hating anarchists. Like it does happen. It's crazy. Like seeing where you can find those pockets of people who think that way. And it's really good for us that it's, it's happened because now they're not going to be so interested in having that all powerful government that they have deified in the past because they now know it can be wielded in a way that they don't appreciate. And, and that was a revelatory experience for many of them, uh, especially the bodily autonomy left, the people that do not believe in either if they're anti-vax or if they just don't want it to be mandated. Like those are all people that I think are allies now. And, and that's good. Um, also, to your point about it not being left or right, I completely agree. I mean, I, as you said, I also think it's more right-wingers that are thinking critically right now. But all I'm looking for is critical thinkers and that's the real division it's like critical thinkers versus sheep like that that's that's really all there is left and fortunately if you look at biden's approval ratings it looks like critical thinkers are probably the majority right now um but it's it's a slim slim majority uh, he he is hated but just because some of those people are saying yes i hate joe biden doesn't mean that they're thinking critically they just go well if we get a republican in there we can punish the left and we can you know we can get our freedom back and it's like no <laughs> like if you're still looking at at uh, at political solutions and this is probably the biggest issue i have with my relatives that have been red pilled but not enough they still look at like all of my relatives that are in california that are conservative leaning were like gavin newsom's gonna be recalled there's no way that he doesn't get recalled and right. i was like well he not only did he not get recalled, but he got sixty-seven percent, uh, you know, no or whatever it was to keep him in office. So, yeah, they they are now realizing that uh, that hope probably shouldn't be put put in the political sphere, but unfortunately, it's gonna be it's gonna take a little while. It's gonna take some time for people to really give up on reform and start to realize that like peaceful revolution and secession is probably the only way out. Uh, but more and more people are seeing it. And and just like with the Ron Paul movement, it's like if someone is able to take that first step, you have no idea where, where they'll be in a decade. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to downplay or denigrate any of those people just because they aren't where you and I are ideologically. Like I am proud of them for taking a step off of the path of pure sheepdom and listening to whatever the government has to say or the media has to say. Like these people are taking a brave first step out into liberty-minded thought so encourage them don't talk shit to them i hate it when i see libertarians do that to people they're like like these people are just like coming out of statism into some some thought about anarchy and people are like you're not pure and you're suck yeah. and you're worthless and it's like what are you doing like these people are so much better than 90 percent of the people out there and and people still want to just prove how much how much further along they are in this evolution of thought I mean, I'm still going to I'm still going to keep evolving on my thought, too. So, like, just stop thinking that you're so far above people 
because you've you've read a little bit more Rothbard. Like it's it's really frustrating. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, one place I disagree with some like right wing populists who would you know call themselves libertarian or libertarian leaning or whatever is um, you know instead of like telling the blatant truth, they think that we should be kind of hijacking some of their cultural values or their their um, the, the way they see Donald Trump or something like use that to an advantage. And, you know, especially when Donald Trump the other day said that thing about the vaccines, like we this would have been the Spanish flu 2.0. You know, we've saved hundreds of millions of lives, blah, blah, blah. And like you saw right wingers getting so pissed and like, fuck this guy. And, you know, like a year ago when he ended up signing this uh, COVID relief bill, um, like moments like that, and, and not just with him, but like with Bernie, the same thing, like when you see him stab his supporters in the back or like Tulsi when she ran this super anti-establishment campaign and then ends up endorsing Biden. Like, I think all of those things are way better than like trying to hijack some sort of false idea that the right or left has. Like when they have those moments of truth where they see like, holy shit, like this guy doesn't actually give a fuck about me or this guy is not my friend. Like those are the moments I live for. So I, I understand like why populists try to use the right or left or whatever. But like for me, it's really just the, you know, seeing your hero stab you in the back and then realizing, wow, this system does not work for me. And I think the last year and a half has been so ripe for that. You've seen that on so many levels and people are like, seeing every seeing it everywhere and they're like fuck this you know like and then they'll look for something else and that's where you can really uh where you can reach them and show them the way but what do you think about that have you noticed that too or of course i mean i, I think uh, back to your prior point about um you know a perfect example of people that are not reachable that are on the right are the people that were, were arrested for january 6th and are still trump supporters even though he didn't lift a fucking finger to help those people right i mean those people cannot be reached like <laughs> You were put in prison. You're a political prisoner and Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck. And you're still like MAGA 2024. Like what? Yeah. I mean, those people are just as crazy as the people on the left. Uh, but your point about populism and, and you know, I really think it's like the way I view it is it still is faith in reform. It's still a faith in a capacity to reform the existing system. When they talk about utilizing the MAGA movement and things like that, like I'm interested in reaching those people. Right. But I'm not really interested in utilizing them for political means. Uh, you know, it. I just don't think, like, my point would, would be that I don't really want to see a liberty-minded person get in there because I don't think that they can save this system. And if we try liberty from a presidential federal level and, and we're basically have a terrible economic collapse under it, you're going to have people, you're going to have people clamoring for, you know, communism. Um, yeah, can you imagine the interest rate hikes we'd have to have if we were having like a libertarian president? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So like I would almost prefer that the collapse, because I believe it's inevitable, I would prefer the collapse come under a statist and, yeah. a, and a hard and a hard one and preferably a hard left one because those are the people that scare me the most. Um, but honestly, like there's there's real problems with right wing populism, too, that people don't like to talk about. Uh, but it's scary shit. You know, I don't I don't really want any sort of totalitarian mindset to be something that I, I utilize for self-defense, you know, like I, my principles do, I mean, ultimately my principle is to survive and I will do whatever necessary to do so for the most part, but I don't want to use populism and punish the left in a way that's so merciless um, 
just because they treated me poorly, you know, like, and I know this sounds kind of like a religious turn the other cheek thing. And I'm not really normally that way, especially when people come at me online, I'm pretty vicious. But uh, I think that when it comes to global politics or, or at least national politics, it's very important that you, when you regain power, if you want to cool things down, if you don't want to end up in civil war, you cannot continue to escalate things. You know, people on the right that I like a lot, they talk about do everything that the left has done to us, but do it harder. That's their that's their belief. And right. they, they think that the reason the right loses is because the right, when it gets power, doesn't punish its enemies like the left does. I disagree with that. And I, I know that, that a lot of people will find that unpopular. And I understand the human instinct to want to punish people. I very much want to punish Fauci and all these other fuckers that ruined my life for two years. <laughs> you know, like... But I don't think that it gets you to a peaceful place. It only begets more escalation and it and it begets the potential for very, very dangerous conflict. And unless you're ready for that, you know, be very careful about escalating just because you think that the left deserves it. Yeah. I remember when, uh, you know, last November, I was thinking if I were Donald Trump, I would really want to lose <laughs> because next year is going to suck as far as, you know, uh, from a presidential standpoint. And sure enough, I mean, Biden it has to help it, but the, a lot of it was inevitable. <laughs> so I was like, I would not want to be president the next four years. I'd be getting the blame for everything. Um, so what is going to be your, what are you going to try to insert into the conversation for the future? So like, obviously the lockdowns was what you really capitalized or what you really talked about a lot. Uh, you know, that's what you named your show and everything. What going forward are you going to try to insert into the conversation and steer in a direction that you don't necessarily see anybody else doing? Um, I don't know that I have a, a lane picked out or anything. I, I basically am just a reactionary to the tyranny that I'm experiencing at this point because it's so significant. I, I don't really have any time for extracurricular activity. It's like I just got to focus on this stuff that's happening right in front of me. But what I would like to see is I would like to see us capitalize on this moment, not on the LP scale, but on the ideological, you know, reaching people's hearts and minds scale of it's not enough to just get our freedom back from 2019 if we are fortunate enough to get it back. What we have to do is continue back towards 1912, you know, like or whatever year you like, because autists will get upset with me for not picking the perfect year. Um uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's what I would like is I would like to see us go from a, a belief in MMT and statism and militarism or militarism uh, to one of you know very very small government and and trying to get as much of our personal freedom and autonomy and liberty and whatever you want to call it back, and and that's that's my goal. You know, I, I want to I would like to leave my kids if I have some a better planet. You know, and and at this point, I have existed through, you know, a real significant decline in human liberty on Earth. Um, so it sounds very um, kind of diluted to think that I would play any role in that. But, you know, that's that's what I want to see. So I'm going to I'm going to give some effort towards it. Like I I would definitely I don't want it to just be like, OK, we got them to stop with the vaccine passports and social credit. And lockdowns, and now let's chill. You know, like I, we got it. We got to go further. 
Yeah, uh, we got a super chat here. In your opinions, would the Liberty Movement support a general strike as a means for pushing a peaceful revolution? So I don't know what you think about this, but like I, there are a lot of people calling for a trucker strike. And, you know, I don't really see that as too much different than sanctions, because um, <laughs> I was like, if you stop running trucks to the cities, does that hurt the government or does that hurt the people? in the city like in my opinion the only thing that's going to happen is the people in the city are going to starve and the government's going to be fine and if anything it actually gives the government a catalyst to grab more control say like look this private sector trucking industry we can't have this we need to actually have more regulation over trucking i don't know that's that's my thoughts on that in general but what do you think i think if it's as he said a general strike if it's big enough then the government can't do it they can't nationalize every industry I don't think they could even nationalize the trucking industry. Just that single industry alone, they would be there would be such terrible economic pain from it that I think that it would probably wake a lot of people up to like, okay, we can't do this to these people. Like they're not gonna fucking play this game, and we need them. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually more optimistic on general strikes than probably a lot of people in the libertarian sphere are, in that I think that people need to feel the pain. They need to understand that. You know, like this is not acceptable and we will we will make your life as hellish as you've made ours. And again, I don't say that lightly because, as I've just said, I don't really want to take a, you know, retribution type stance for all this stuff. But if they continue down this path, the alternative is totalitarianism. So would I would I be willing to sacrifice some of my principles in the near term to prevent that? Sure. You know, I would punish I would punish cities and stop delivering goods to the cities to make the people rise up against the local government that's locking them down. Like, yeah, I, I think, and your point about it being like, uh, uh, you know, trade embargoes, it, it's, it's an interesting analogy and something I hadn't thought of. Uh, but I, I do think it's different in that, you know, we have all of the materials here and these are our people. It's not a foreign power. So it doesn't galvanize the people in that country against the foreign power. Now it might galvanize them against their fellow Americans that have different ideologies and it could escalate it towards a civil war or it could get them to relent. So it's a gamble. And I do that knowingly, you know, I, I, I get it. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming back on the show. It's always good to have you. Uh, what do you got coming up? You got any big interviews or going to any events or you just taking it? Yeah. I'm I'm just taking it easy through the holidays, man. I've been I've been doing some guest appearances. I haven't done an episode a week, and I'm just kind of chilling through the holidays. I'll probably do one episode before the year's out, and then uh, obviously Dave uh, Dave Smith was said he would come back on in January, so people can look forward to that one. If anyone wants to follow me, go to at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter, and Liberty Lockdown is the show. You can go to YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all over the place to search for that. And I am Clint Russell. Thank you for having me on, Reed Coverdale. You are a gem of a human being, and I am honored to know you. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it would be kind of romantic and in the holiday spirit to close out with Baby, It's Cold Outside, but I've got a little <laughs> bit of a scratchy throat, so we'll just pass on that. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I don't have much of a singing voice, either. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Everyone go check him out. I got his links in the description. And I think this is my last show for 2021. That could be wrong. I might do a live stream by myself or something, but I'm I'm pretty booked uh, in my personal life for the next couple of weeks. So, um, 
yeah, everyone just hang in there. It's been a crazy uh, year. I know a lot of people have had a lot worse year than the two of us have. It's been one of the best years of my life personally, but I know for a lot of people that's not the case. So just, uh, you know, take care of each other and take care of yourselves and stop relying on the government because they obviously don't give a shit about you. Yeah. Well, let me also say, it, despite how great these past two years have been for me in terms of this outlet, I have made less money in these past two years than I have in my entire adult life. So like I've right. suffered with you. Okay. <laughs> so if that makes people feel any better. Like I am, I am with you in this. I feel what you're going through and I take it seriously. And I think Reed does too. And that's, it's sincere. Like I, I very much am worried about the people out there that are suffering from all of this bullshit that we're going through. And I scream about it a couple times a week to let people know that's <laughs> that I'm serious about it. So uh, if you if you need more of that spirit in your life, check me out. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, I hope you have a nice hiatus from all the stress and drama and tyranny. <laughs> uh, hope hope uh, hope you all have a good holiday, and I will see you next year.